You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. This one on Wednesday, September the 15th, 2021. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL, joined by site publisher, the one, the only, Tim Watts, as we get you ready for Alabama and Florida, a matchup of top 10-ish teams, depending on which poll you subscribe to. Maybe you have the Gators at number nine. Maybe you have Florida at number 11. We all know that the Alabama Crimson Tide, once again this week, the top-ranked team in all of college football. We're going to have a lot to cover on the show today. We're going to get into Alabama-Florida from an on-the-field perspective with Tim. We're going to get into it from a recruiting perspective with Tim. But, Tim, I know, like a lot of folks, I don't know if there's been a more fun weekend that we're coming off of in terms of Alabama guys in the National Football League than what we experienced in week one of pro play the last few days. That was pretty awesome, man. Yeah, I mean, it was good to see. You know, you see them, they come right out of the gate because, you know, it's been a while since we've seen Waddle. You know, we haven't really seen him at 100% since the, you know, first part of last year. It's good to see him. And also, you're starting to see what's interesting. You know, I always do that hashtag built by Bama, but now it's built by Bama from built, you know, built by Bama. I mean, you got Jalen throwing the – you know, Devonta Smith for a touchdown. He got, um, you know, two of throwing a pass to Waddle. So you're seeing a lot of these guys on the same teams now. I mean, it's it's kind of like Minka, Najee. I mean, you go down the list with Pat and Judy, who suffered an unfortunate incident. He's out for four to six weeks, I think I read. So, but it's, yeah, I mean, you look, if you're watching, if you're an Alabama fan, it's nothing like it was for me and you 15 years ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? You were looking for, like, Sean Alexander your 2005, home. yeah, you're right. Go Chris Samuels. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely. Left tackle for the football team up there in Washington. Yeah, all defensive linemen and <laughs> linebackers and offensive linemen. So, hey, there's D'Amico Ryans. He's I mean, lighting he, it up, bro. Kick it all the way around to, like, Josh Jacobs, who scored a couple of touchdowns. And what a crazy atmosphere. I was curious. I was like, why are they putting these crappy games, especially the, the Rams and the Bears, at a primetime Sunday night game, but then I got it because those stadiums, are you kidding me? SoFi Stadium, six billion I, I with a B. Going to fight somebody. That's how nice that Vegas and that LA. Oh wow. Gee, those were just unbelievable um, you know, stadiums. Obviously Josh did well. I still hate Henry Rubs is stuck in that offense with the made a big play late though. He did. Deep ball. He well he can yeah. do that if you'll throw him the ball. It's crazy. <laughs> You know, you know, I felt bad for Marlon Humphrey in that game for Baltimore because he played his ass off like he does every week. I mean, I don't know. Did you watch play? That play off the line was beautifully said. Yeah. I'm not the biggest. Marlon got picked by his own. He got, he got picked by his own safety and That's he knew it. And, it's, and because they're in zero coverage and bringing yeah. the house, Absolutely. the game's over. It's as soon as that play. happened, the game was over. It's a great play call because they call a timeout. Looks like they, they look like they ran out the field goal team, and we were laughing like Ollie Groove's kicking this on <laughs> second down. And then they call a timeout, like you know what? Let's take one shot. And I'll tell you what, it was a beautiful play 
Um, pick Marlon, like you said, Marlon had been great, is great. I mean, Marlon's one of the only dudes I know running around stride for stride with Judy and several incidents. But, yeah, if you're looking for Alabama guys, and it was good because, you know, we've seen a lot of these guys over the years. You know, they've Josh and those guys, they've had impacts, Judy and uh, a lot of those guys. But getting to see, you know, a really healthy Tua versus Mack in a, in a first game, which was nice. I thought both of them did really well. Um, Damian Harris had an unfortunate fumble, but we're seeing him showcased again. And he is, you know, he's shown us what we thought he could be in the NFL, had a really big game. But, yeah, just guys all over. You know, even watching the, the you know, flipping around, watching the Giants. I saw him at Xavier McKinney, who was out last year making plays. So, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of action for Alabama in the National Football League. We really appreciate Charlie Potter of our staff doing the job he does with tight in the NFL where he tracks Alabama players on a week-to-week basis uh, in the National Football League. And it's become a pretty, pretty big project for Charlie with all these NFL guys from Alabama uh, in the league. And even now, after a week, and unfortunately this is a league in which attrition doesn't take a break from week one through the Super Bowl, guys are going to go down, going to go on IR. Uh, And now you're seeing guys that weren't on rosters going into the season opener they're showing up on rosters in week two Drake Kirkpatrick sides with the San Francisco 49ers here in the last 24 hours so it looks like he'll enter his 10th year in the league Carson Tinker the long snapper uh seeing him with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers so it's not just guys that are already in the league it's that when teams still need players guys that aren't in the league end up in the league Tim yeah, I know. I, I I know. I sort of. I feel like I'm harassing Charlie a lot of times because during the day, you know, we all share tweets when we see breaking news to make sure nobody's driving. You know, yesterday I had a couple just out of the blue, like you said, just out of the blue. Guys were injured. Guys were signing. Guys were, you know, moving to the practice squad from the practice squad. So it is a rotate because there's so many. There's so many Alabama players. That's constantly a a list that's evolving uh, uh, pretty quickly. Uh, Patriots, Dolphins, you touched on it with Tua and Mac. I thought both were really good. I thought it was good to see Tua in more of an approach from the outset of that game that is certainly befitting of his skill set. They've moved on from the Chan Gailey experience, a little bit antiquated, a little bit traditional in its style. Nothing wrong with that. But for Tua to be his best, Tim, I think we saw it at Alabama, and we saw it especially on that opening series in New England on Sunday Go with some tempo, get him into the RPO game, uh, give him some throws he's comfortable making. And, you know, he can certainly be a, a capable starter in the NFL. He throws for 202. He had the interception late in the game where I felt like he was trying to throw the ball out of bounds, but he was moving to his right, throwing across his body, he got drilled. So that was his interception in the game. You said it about uh Damian Harris that's a tough one but man he was great otherwise uh because Stevenson fumbled early in the game for the Pats and Harris kind of took over a 100 yard game caught two balls for 17 yards but the fumble will stick with him for a little bit yeah you know I think that's just you know you said you you know we say that but we looked up on the Monday night game with the whole nation watching and Lamar Jackson you know obviously MVP a couple years ago and a big time player he had two fumbles that cost him the game he had one that kept him in the game, and he had another where they ended up scoring on that last drive. So uh, I don't think it the, happens. Yeah, it happens. You know what? I just, you know, I just don't think, you know, if it happens again, I think you have something to be watching, you know, for that ball protection. Of course, 
You know, I thought the game plan for the pay- – I really thought Mac Jones looked good, great, to be honest. Cause they, I thought he looked like a 10-year pro. They I mean, do just have the, the skilled players. No. Skilled players in the National Football they League. ain't no Randy Moss in New England these They're, days, all right? Not even the guys that Brady – you know, there's no Gronk. There's none of those guys. You know, the the uh, you know the white wide receivers they kept who were always – Edelman. Great yeah. plays. None of them are Amendola. there. Yeah, just so many of those. The Ruck, remember, they brought a lacrosse player out there. <laughs> you know what I mean? They had that. So, but I thought the play calling was good. I thought Mac looked good. I saw a quote. I was I was uh, actually waiting on a red light, and I got a, had a quote sent to me that the opposing team for the Dolphins was complimenting Mac. They said he looked like a pro. He looked like a veteran. He was answering questions. He was, I mean, he was calling out the blitzes. He was, he had completely, and it's not surprising. He completely taken over that huddle. We've talked about it for, for two full years that Mac doesn't lack for confidence. That's confidence. That's why it was laughable. Cam Newton, I saw him say something along the lines that he would have been happy being the back, backup, but Mac Jones wouldn't have been comfortable. I don't buy that. I don't think there's a situation in the world where Mac. No. Mac Jones, yeah, that was ridiculous. I think that, he's. I think you could put him anywhere in the world in any situation, and he's gonna he's gonna be himself and fit in. So I don't buy that at all. No, that's just Cam, and and Cam basically illustrating why he was released, essentially because it wasn't Mac that was going to have a problem with the backup situation. Yeah, uh, I, 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 you know, and I, I'm not I'm not saying Cam would have been a problem either, but I can promise you. Mac Jones wouldn't have had a problem with Cam Newton being his backup. If I'm Cam Newton, I'm in that stage of my career. If I'm not the starter, I got to go try to find a starting job. Um, It's not the same as being behind an older veteran like Ryan Fitzpatrick and you're the backup because you got a chance to play or a Drew Brees. You got a chance to play if they're injured or something goes wrong. But when you're behind a Mac Jones, I mean, the only thing that can save you is an injury because once they decide he's the better guy, they're really not coming back from that most likely. No, and we, in years past, have talked about a quarterback shortage, especially starters, starter caliber quarterbacks in the NFL. I don't know if we're having that much of a discussion about it this year. There are talented young quarterbacks across the league just from this latest draft class. Um, Not to turn this into the Cam Newton, what happens next podcast, but where would you see Cam Newton as a starter? Houston? I thought Tyrod Taylor looked better than cam against my jags saturday now it was my jags i understand that but where where does cam start right now in the nfl well no i think the next sport event we see might be him fighting one of them instagram logan brothers (laughs) now see i pay to see that dude that guy's a monster size and cam i know monster size i know there'll be two big dudes in there fighting each other um so I don't know. I mean, I don't know what Cam Newton wants to do. He's, you know, he's a different bird. He's got money. Um, looks like he's invested well. You haven't really heard of anything off the field, uh, you know, as far as, you know, finances. So I think he's pretty much set. He's ta- – look, I don't care what you think about Cam Newton. I've never in my life – and I've watched a, a ton of NFL games my whole life. I've always loved the NFL Sundays. I've always loved them. Watch every game I can, every single Sunday. Take the ones I can't. Go back and watch it. Um, but I've never seen a quarterback since the seventies getting clubbed by Deacon Jones with a cast on take the hits. Cam Newton's taken. He has taken a, a hundred hits in the NFL to his helmet because he's a big guy and he turned into a runner when he's running. That guy's beat up. His shoulder's been injured. You know, at some point, you know, I just wonder if the, if the juice is worth the squeeze for the guy. 
you know, we talk about defensive backs that have come out of this Alabama program. And when you run down the list of kind of Alabama products from the opening weekend of the NFL, they just continue to show up, man. Trayvon Diggs, two pass breakups, an interception, and the Cowboys lost to the to the Bucks last Thursday night. Uh, you get into guys like Minka Fitzpatrick, 10 tackles, a pass breakup, just such a presence in that Pittsburgh secondary. Levi Wallace for the Buffalo Bills, four tackles, a pass breakup. Um, you move into, you know, we talked about, uh, we talked about how great Marlon continues to be, but Anthony Averett, man, on that other side, got a chance to really show what he could do in that game against the Raiders on uh, Monday night. And, uh, you know, a, a, an outstanding performance, seven tackles, a pass breakup and interception in the end zone for Anthony. Is it time to officially change that mantle to DBU to, to Alabama? Or is there still some debate I mean, about that? A year and a half ago where I didn't, I thought Alabama was DBU back then. <laughs> I didn't understand. Texas got somehow in the mix and I didn't know if they knew what DBU. I thought I was trying to fit when Texas said they were DBU. I'll spend a day trying to figure out what the hell they <laughs> Where'd that come from? What is D what does DB mean to y'all? Because to us it's defensive back. So <laughs> LSU's obviously, you know, they're they're obviously up there. They they grow on trees in LSU. Good defensive backs, um, cornerbacks. You got Stingley this year. I mean, Jamal Adams is one of the best safeties in the country. I think Alabama probably is a little bit ahead of LSU right now. I mean, Pat Sertain coming in. Florida's up there too. Yeah. yeah, Florida's another one. That's good. I think those three schools in the SEC, and you can't rule out Ohio State. They do a good job. They'll have a bunch of guys in the NFL. So I don't think there's a wide gap, but I certainly think Alabama holds its own. If there's a better safety in the NFL for what he does than Minka Fitzpatrick, I'd like to see him. He was unbelievable against uh, Josh Allen and the Bills, and that was a low-key really good game too. The Bills and Steelers was a, was quite the brawl. So, um uh, yeah, I mean, you're seeing it. I mean, I'm not going to take away from LSU. I think they have great defensive back history and current defensive backs and future defensive backs. I feel the same way with Ohio State and, as you said, Florida. So they all do a good job. But I think Alabama certainly holds its own. Um, probably, you know, I would say because, you know, with Alabama, you see all the first-round guys. But then again, we're talking about some of the lower-drafted guys who are holding their own, Levi and those guys who are, you know, standing out in the NFL now. You know where the Texas stuff comes with the DBU smoke? It's got to be just pretty much Earl Thomas, right? The safety for the Seahawks. That's got to be the foundation on which Texas felt like they could even try to broach a candidacy for that DBU title. It's like they're back. They're wrong here, too. Well, I mean, if you want to talk Earl Thomas at safety, Alabama can come with – you want to talk contracts. Dude, Earl Thomas was a brilliant player. He was. And, what is, what is mean, he now? Is he Minka Fitzpatrick right now? No. Hell no. Texas Eddie is, Jackson, you can Texas go at safety. Landon Texas, Collins at safety. Texas is not in this discussion. They're, they're not? Uh, All right. They're not. They're Tim, Tim Ohio State, Bama. You know, I don't – I mean, it seems like USC should have guys. I don't know if they actually do. But those, they used to. Yeah, those four, we, you know, we mentioned. I mean, Ohio State's got guys projected there. Josh Job's going to be an NFL player. You know, Armour Davis is going to be an NFL player. You look at the the safeties, it's going to be hard for me to believe that Branch and Malachi is not going to be NFL players. So Alabama is definitely holding this on. And I'm sure there's a debate for the other side from those other schools that feel they're, they're in it. And I, and I acknowledge there's a ton of talent at those schools. You know, what I pulled off in fantasy football over the weekend, I pulled off a win 
in fantasy football with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. How about that? Aaron Rodgers registered less than two points on Sunday in Jacksonville against your Saints, who just, look, whatever you think of Jameis, uh, Sharp, and the Saints. I don't know if I was more impressed with the Saints, though, or just like, well, the Saints. Did the Packers even make the damn trip? Did Aaron Rodgers even make the trip? I'm pretty sure I saw Aaron Rodgers in the second quarter say, I told y'all to trade me. <laughs> now, he was ready to go host Jeopardy now, by the third quarter. Get it right. And Aaron Rodgers, when did they find him in the woods? How long was he lost? My gosh, his hair is. I mean, well, how, he went on that hike. He went he on that looks, hike in Hawaii, remember? Dude, he looks skinny yeah. as hair is long. I mean, he doesn't look bad. He's just Aaron different. Rambo. Yeah, Aaron Rambo, John's long lost brother. And that game was a little <laughs> bit closer at times. I mean, Aaron Rodgers had him inside the, the 10 or 15. They got a good blitz, threw an interception that turned the game around. Jamison, Jameis was good in doing what he was supposed to do and staying on script. He just had the one bomb late in the game up 31 to three, which was a dime. He threw a beautiful ball. But what he did early on, I felt to help the Saints the most is that he used his legs. He looked, he looked in shape. He looked leaner. He looked a little more athletic. He's never going to be a super athlete, you know. Um, Jameis has got to know this is it, though. I mean, if you were ever going to get it right to take advantage of an opportunity, this is it, man. Yeah, this is it because next year the Saints will draft or go after another quarterback, obviously, if it's not Winston. But, I mean, the guy, the thing about Jameis, you're going to get, you know, it's like a comedy hour in a lot of ways. I don't know. Did you see the little snippet on Twitter where he was like, they asked him a point, point blank question, James. What did James? What did you think about the defense and the running game? How big were they setting up the game? And he said, "I just feel like we were prepared." So he's already off script on his interview. He affected <laughs> the defense or the damn running game. And then they said, "He said it's just like my trainer told me." What did What did he tell me? He just he <laughs> yeah. Told me to he went, he went blank on that. Yeah. Yeah, you know what that is? That is your trainer saying, hey, if they interview you, you better mention me, and you trying to push that in there, and then you can't even remember what he told you. You know what my trainer told me? He told me to keep training. It's almost to the point, though, where you're embracing Jameis more because of that quirkiness, I guess we'll call it, to be nice. And some of the stuff that you see him do on social media, like some of his training attempts, oh, you know, not very pretty. And then the comments like he had post-game Sunday. Yeah, I don't think you can uh, – I mean, there, he's obviously a lightning rod with his history. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of other stuff people like to talk about. And every thread ends up sort of, you know, on the, on the round table and BOL ends up sort of a pretty heated discussion because some of the other stuff off the field. So – you know, I think you. I think you. I think he's one of those guys that entertains you, or you hate his guts. What's your confidence level in Jameis after Sunday as a as a Saints fan? Are you are you all in, or are you you still going to take a little bit of a cautious approach? No, no, I'm not all in. He <laughs> went for less than a hundred yards before dropping a fifty-five yard block. Wow! The defense yeah. is good. The running game's good. You are know, you over Taysom coming into the game in certain situations? Or are you okay with it? Taysom. I don't know where to, where the taste. I never got it. I mean, the dude made, brought him in inside the ten. The one time I was watching Sunday and got stuffed. That is not working in the <laughs> National Football League. Lamar Jackson's not running the option. Lamar Jackson's capable, and Kyler Murray. They're dropping back and then option in when they feel pressure. They're not running the option, or they'd be dead. You can't run against an NFL linebacker. There has anybody seen Devin White? Those guys were. 
third. Yeah. Those guys were. That's one of those things where the rest of that staff for the Saints, you know, Tim, on their on their separate staff text chain they have that doesn't include Sean Payton. They're saying, guys, we got to come up with a way to make it Sean's idea not to use Taysom. Right. That's what this feels like. It's going to it's going to take someone making Sean Payton feel like, you know what, it's not such a good idea. And then it's his idea. And then maybe he'll do away with it. No, absolutely. But I mean, I think <laughs> this thing, I mean, that guy's making a, a pretty good uh, uh, a penny to be whatever he is. Now, he is a great special teams player. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Cover kicks, punts, whatever. He's a great story. I just don't know why everybody was wanting Tim Tebow to play another uh, position, but they don't insist on this guy playing another position. Tim yeah. Tebow could actually throw a football forward. <laughs> you know, I don't understand the NFL and everybody was like, Tebow needs to play another position. This guy, um, I mean, he's, I'm looking it up. He's making $12.159 million a year. Jeez. That's a hell of a gig, man. I used to say the best job in the NFL is the backup quarterback for 10 years. I Even if you're a backup quarterback covering punts and kicks. It's, you know? it's a that's good still, that's, it's, that's, it's, it's, hey, He's a great story, and he gives a 1,000% and all that rah-rah stuff. He's fun to watch. When he makes a big play, he makes a big play. But to me, he's more of a running back. He'd be do better out of an eye formation, to be honest with you. Then, I mean, because, you know, when, you get, when you're a running back, you're getting that head of steam when you get the yeah. ball. And if you got vision, you can find, you know, Najee's great at it. You can find that cut back and all that. As a quarterback, you're just, you know, you're just, you know, bumbling, stumbling, and rumbling trying to find, you know, something. He also could be a hell of an H back. I mean, he's built for, he could be a linebacker. Yeah, I see him. That's where I see him is more of an H that you could uh, motion him around, do some different things with him like that. And that's where I would envision him being most effective. Hey, we got to get into some Alabama, Florida talk here wait, on wait, the. Wait. Go ahead. Touch on me. I want to give a shout out to Norm McDonald. That hit me a little bit. Oh, damn. The way. Yeah. And I spent, you know, it's one of those things you don't appreciate until he's gone, but I spent a good three hours of my day looking at YouTube videos and just laughing my ass off. This guy, the more uncomfortable a situation got, the more comfortable he was. Did you see the the ESPYs monologue? Oh, my God. Oh, jeez. reaction. I mean, Ricky Gervais, Ricky Gervais at the uh, Golden Globes a few years ago was along those lines, but it wasn't even close and for those to not what Norm did. Norm was hosting the uh, ESPYs the year Woodson won the Heisman, and he said, hey, defensive player, you want it, you earned it. They can never take that away from you unless you kill your wife and a waiter. And, God, jeez. And everybody was like, <laughs> covered their face, trying not to laugh because they didn't know if it was appropriate. But he actually believed in the OJ joke so much that he ended up getting fired on Saturday Night Live. Uh, and I've got a recommendation for anybody with Netflix. Watch the Comedians in Cars show with Jerry Seinfeld and watch the Norm McDonald episode. And uh, that's it. I just felt like saying something. Yeah, that's a tough one. I agree. And it, it, it I mean, a, the, the, the guy battled cancer for nine years and no one knew it, you know, until but you, his death was announced. Yeah, there's a guy that just want to be remembered for what he was. So a lot of respect. That hit me a little bit yesterday on a on a slow Monday. But as a golf fan, far. as a golf fan, Norm McDonald live tweeting the Masters was gold. That was one of my favorite things with Norm. 
as well. All right, let's get into some Florida talk. And uh, we're not just going to limit it to the game on Saturday at the Swamp. That's a 2.30 central kickoff on CBS. Uh, We're going to get into some recruiting. We're going to get into some state of Florida talk in general. Hey, Tim, let's go ahead and get into it. I think we've done this in the past on the podcast, but because it's ever-changing, it seems like, under Nick Saban, trying to come up with a top five recruiting pulls for the Alabama Crimson Tide from the state of Florida in the Saban era. And I say that because just from the 2020 team, you got to incorporate, you got to factor in Mac Jones in that discussion. Now there's some other Florida guys, still uh, a big part of this roster as it gets ready for the Gators on Saturday. But man, from Miami to the panhandle to central Florida and really Northeast Florida, my home stomping grounds there in the Jacksonville area, you start talking about Derrick Henry, you start talking about Mac Jones. Uh, that's two of my top five right there. Yeah. Um, Trent will always be my guy there, you know, okay. because Trent was at 2019 and, you know, 2018 saw Julio, um, not 22, 2008. I'm pretending I'm younger than I am. 2008 was Julio was kind of that musket guy. To me, Trent was that guy on offense for 20, 2009. I've argued with people. People are, tend to be stupid in general and forget how good Trent Richardson was. was they, they even like in their mind pretend he wasn't that good in college. I'm exaggerating. He went second in the NFL draft, people. You know, when I argue, I was like, what are you talking about? His NFL career was so good. He went second in the NFL draft. Obviously, he didn't pan out in the NFL, but had close to 1,000 yards rushing, I believe, as a rookie. He but, had more rushing yards in 2011 than when Ingram won the Heisman in 2009, put it that way, with his rushing. No doubt the guy was a terror in high school. He was a, a, you know, and he was was that generational type back. And it was a big deal because, you know, Florida, Texas, all those schools were involved. But he was a huge, huge get to me in 2019. Um, So he's there. Obviously, you know, Mac, you know, wasn't as, as sexy as some of the other ones, but proved to be tremendous. And Derek, you know, Derek Henry, you know, you don't really, you know, he was committed to Georgia. Alabama flipped him. So, you know, a lot of people don't even really resonate that he was in the state of Florida, but he was. And he looked like a drunk uncle on Thanksgiving who hasn't seen his nephews in five years running him over in the backyard on Thanksgiving playing football. I didn't, you know, that I, I bet the Titans, that's their scouting report on Derek. I bet that's exactly how they wrote it up, Tim. Just I like mean, that. He looks like he is running over children in the backyard. He played like, was it 2A football? It's like uh, your boy in Wedding Crashers when they play the family football on Thanksgiving yes, there. Yes, that's that. Yes. Football Very. and crab cakes. I mean, and don't get me wrong. He could have, you could have put him at 7A at any, in a 7A classification anywhere in the world and he'd have been great. But you add in the fact he's a freak. You add in the fact that he was playing a smaller ball, even though smaller ball in Florida is not necessarily smaller ball. In and Oak. he still went against the Bowleses of that's, Northeast Florida, though. He, he, you're right. He, he was at a lower classification, but. Uh, they they were scheduling up pretty good oh, while he was there. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, obviously those two guys stand out to me. Um, jump out to me along with Mag. You know, one I loved. I always thought Pat Sertain was huge. Also, yeah. And you don't really relate it to um, Florida. You know, the University of Florida because it was really thought to be them in LSU. But that was a guy whose dad went to LSU. Joe Pananzio, Joe Pananzio, who doesn't get nearly enough credit 
for being a great recruiter at Alabama. He did every year. He'd find a guy or two to focus on and, and land. Um, he's now with the Eagles, but he was a guy that went down and worked that, you know, really hard worked that, um, that angle. LSU had considered him a lot for some time. Uh, so landing Pat, and again, when you're getting these guys we're talking about are day one, you know, impact guys. It's not just a recruiting effect. That that effect was felt on the field right away as well. And again, we've talked about it two dozen times, but Pat Sardane had the greatest Alabama GOAT career that no one really talked about I've ever seen. I didn't really talk about him nearly as much as I should. Most people did. He just quietly smothered almost everybody he faced. You know, the last few years, we barely even remember making a play, right? Yeah. Last year, can you think of, I mean, Pat was, he was so good, literally. That's how Job looked so good. They were just avoiding Pat, but Pat obviously was a huge one. Yeah, he finally had a pick six as a junior, and you thought, wow, that took a while. Well, it took a while because he wasn't getting targeted very much in his three years. So um, He's a bust. Took him three years. Ha-ha Clinton Dix out of the Orlando area. Trey Sanders is a Florida guy that will obviously be watching moving forward. He's got three or four. Yeah. Alan Heatherwood, there's another one. Heatherwood, Pensacola, like Trent. Like a few days before signing day or whatever. It was a bowl game, so it wasn't a few days before signing day. But he shows up on the message board. Somebody was at the Florida bowl game, and he was sitting there. (laughs) He's committed to Alabama. Florida's trying to flip him, and he is sitting at a Florida bowl game. Uh, That certainly set everything off. But Alex was big. Evan was big. Trey was big. And then, of course, South Florida. My good, there's five in South Florida. And just y'all, guy, you could do a yeah, you could do a Broward Dade. Mark Cooper, Jerry Judy. I mean, you did that list. Uh, Calvin Ridley, Eddie Jackson. Yeah, yeah. Mari to me is one. Mari to me is the offensive. Uh, Mari's a top five for me from Florida. Yeah, Mari was so quiet. I'll never forget. I had a staffer call me, and we were talking about their camp that year, and he said. Yeah, I just saw the best guy in camp since Julio Jones. I was like, that's a random ass. You should be yelling right now. That's a random dime drop right there. Yeah. He said, this guy's, that's hot. This guy's as good as Julio in camp. And Julio obviously was like a freak at their camp, sort of the benchmark. I think he still is for a lot of the coaches. But he says his name's Amari Cooper. And, uh, you know, I started. I remember getting- seeing Amari in the Under Armour All American game and thinking, yeah. This guy's ready, like right now. And it actually took him a few games as a true freshman in 2012. But by the end of that season, what was he doing? Lighting up Notre Dame, catching the game-winning touchdown, or I think what turned out to be against Georgia on that deep ball from A.J. in Atlanta. Absolutely. Coop. I, him and Blake Sims were one of the best bombs. Oh, yeah. Dynamics ever. And I love Amari because everybody for three years would say to me, why don't other teams cover him? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're trying they're not saying hey don't worry about nine we'll just no. our licks with him they are trying to cover him but i mean t- honestly has anybody ever been more wide open than amari at alabama and you got to give lane a lot of credit for that yards. you know whatever you think of lane and lane gets a lot of credit for blake as he should in that 2014 offense in general but the thing that lane understood and carried out on a weekly basis is that we got to get Coop moved around. They lined him up, I want to say, at tight end against Tennessee in 2014 and just hit him on a you know kind of easy little scissors-type action. And and he goes 
he goes like 75, 80, you know, to kind of open that game. Lane, Lane every week had something special and different for Coop and just kept getting him the ball. Well, that's that was Lane's M.O. and always has been. If you Right. He's got his guy. He'll wear you out. Right. He'd have a receiver tapping his helmet by the middle of the second quarter. Elijah Moore at Ole Miss last year was that guy. Robert Woods at USC would have like 23 receptions. Not quite that many. (laughs) But he would wear him out. You know, the NFL would be like, we want to draft you higher, but we're not sure how much wear and tear you got left. You caught so many passes. But Lane will find his guy, and he would would say, stop it. Yeah. Obviously. Keep going there. And Trent, you mentioned Trent. The last time Alabama went to Gainesville, that was Trent, 2011. And ironically enough, Trent Richardson, same high school that produced Florida legend Emmett Smith. So uh, that was a big deal. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting when we talk about these names because some of these guys, they were big, big deals when they committed and/or signed, and then you had some guys like Eddie Jackson, you know, and and some other guys that have come from the state of Florida that. It didn't really impact folks all that much. Mac Jones, um, when they committed and or signed, but man, they went on to some hellacious careers and still doing it in the National Football League. Eddie's the one that no one really. Alabama had, I'm, you know, sometimes I don't think fans understand. Like you've only got a certain number for. Uh, you get down that end, you might have you know one spot for an offensive lineman, one spot for a defensive back. Well, that year they had the one spot for Eddie, uh, Jalen Ramsey, or Von Bell. That was it. They had one spot. You can't really go wrong there, if we're being honest. Three really good football players. Still, all three are in the National Football League. Eddie was the most dynamic of that group because you could see Eddie as a wide receiver. You could see Eddie on special teams. Coming off a junior year where he's injured, nobody really knew about him. Eddie was, you know, um, obviously Jalen and, and Von Bell. I saw him the other day in the NFL. I think he's the Browns game. I can't remember. He's still around. But Von thing with Vaughn is he wanted to play safety. Alabama thought he was, and he is for Alabama, he's more size of a cornerback than a safety at the time. So that was a little bit there, but um, Eddie Jackson, yes, that was a huge get. No one really talked about it. There's a lot of debate, you know, the, you know, they're passing on five-star Jalen Ramsey, who also had a good career, but Eddie certainly did his share at the capstone. Ed Stinson, if you go back to that 2009 class, outside linebacker, edge defender, uh, from South Dade High School. Uh, he kind of started that whole thing in South Florida for Alabama under Nick Saban and grew into sort of a defensive end and played a pretty good bit in the National Football League in his own right. Hey, we're going to take a break, Tim. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the rosters that are going to be on the field on Saturday and maybe some connections between Alabama and Florida on the recruiting trail where some of those guys, more than a couple of those guys, actually are concerned. We'll also get into the BOL Roundtable mailbag. A lot of good stuff there this week, and we always appreciate you guys and gals participating for us there in the mailbag. We'll do that and a whole lot more when the Bama Online Podcast, a T-Watts and TR edition of the podcast, returns right after this. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. 
With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Back with more of the Bama Online podcast, Travis Ryer and BOL site publisher, Tim Watts, with a midweek edition of the podcast, getting you ready for Saturday's big game down in Gainesville, Florida, the Alabama Crimson side and the Florida Gators. One more time, a series that has been heavily dominated Tim Watts by the Alabama Crimson Tide under Nick Saban. There was a time not all that long ago, though, specifically when Steve Spurrier was in Gainesville, where you wondered exactly where this series was headed because Steve obviously had some success, even with Gene Stallings winning 70 games in seven years. Uh, Spurrier really changed that dynamic there in Gainesville and it made the Gators extremely difficult to deal with. Yeah, you know, Steve, he's going to be that guy that we look back at what a classic coach he was. He's probably maybe one of the last super honest coaches. You know what I mean? Not only does he have the troll uh, effect down for, you know, for a for an old Yeah, he, he was a character in addition to being a hell of a coach. That's yeah. And not only that, his trolling is usually pretty accurate. I mean, <laughs> he's just telling you, you know, he's being honest. Yeah. And that's what made it even better that and worse for opposing fan bases. And sometimes it was aimed at Alabama, but definitely those offenses. You know, you know, Florida was so good that when Alabama beat them, it was a, just a most massive deal. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like the, uh, you know, it just meant everything. Uh, and those teams were good. I've seen those teams. I remember when, um, you know, when when you know Auburn had some battles with with uh, those Florida teams too with Steve Spurrier. So certainly one of the top in the country. Their offense was crazy. I mean, that guy could take a quarterback who wasn't really going to play much in the NFL and turn him into a Heisman winner or a record setter. I think he did that year after year. I just I don't even know what to make if that guy if if if, if he'd ever got a hold of a Pat Mahomes type guy. You know, yeah. If, got a guy with that much talent because he did so much with like work had cam newton and had cam newton for a, a cup of coffee before cam had to go that would have been interesting huh yeah. or i guess that was actually urban that was urban my bad yeah urban had cam that was urban yeah he, he carrying both, over eras yeah he had yeah we're mixing them together that would have been fun though yeah how about how about steve with uh cam i think steve would have dealt with him very long <laughs> managing those personalities between yeah, the two of them. A, wow. a lot. I don't see that as a great, what I see, like if he had ever got a hold of a extremely talented guy who was a yes, sir kind of guy, dude, just do what I say. Yeah. That's why I'm thinking my homes or Herbert, uh, uh, Herbert or somebody like that. Quiet guys. Yeah. I think he'd have torched the world. Hell, he, t- he torched it without him actually. Yeah, Danny Werfel lit it up pretty good back in 1996, historic season at the time. And don't forget South Carolina. Yeah. South Carolina. Three straight 11-win seasons at South Carolina. Now we're seeing it's been really hard to win since Steve Spurrier at South Carolina. Very hard. South Carolina and Arkansas, pretty similar, right, in terms of difficulty to win. And they came into the league together and – 
you know, maybe Bobby Petrino in retrospect for all the grief he gets and rightfully so to an extent based on his departure, uh, whatever you think the guy had them playing at a top 10 level. And, uh, you haven't seen much of that from Arkansas since his departure either. So let's talk about this Florida roster a little bit because there are some ties on the recruiting trail. And we talked about Emory Jones, the Florida starting quarterback before the show, Tim, and, you know, Alabama's involvement at the time, that was an interesting stretch there between 17, 18, and 19 with those classes because obviously in 17, you had Tua and Mac. 18 was a little bit of a bridge year, um, some moving pieces, we could say, in 18. And then 19, you had another two two quarterback class. But Emory Jones is a 2018 guy. Alabama had some interest there, right? Yeah, he's committed somewhere. I'm drawing a blank on where it seems like. But late, at Mississippi I, State, wasn't he going to go to Mississippi State with Mullen? That happened really late in the process, usually when my brain's fried. Um, but Emory popped up. I think he took a visit, put Alabama out there. It seemed like Georgia was a little involved. Obviously, Florida was involved. Um, really good athlete. You know, the thing about Emory Jones is, you know, you see those guys that are really good, you know, good, solid athletes, and he has a good, solid arm. It's just that his throw motion seems tight to me. And you see this a lot with guys where they're just not yeah. a – he's strong-armed. It's just a, not a natural throwing motion. you got to see those guys kind of – you know, Brody Crow was a little bit that way. Brody was like, you know, wired up, you know, pretty much a uh, rubber band. Everything he threw, especially early in his career, was just a dime. I mean, he right. would – He'd blow it through your chest on an eight-yard crossing pattern. So, so with Emory, I think you saw that potential. Hasn't really developed yet. He's still relatively young experience-wise. Um, obviously didn't get many snaps last year behind Kyle Trask, who, did, who was fantastic. So, um, you know, a guy that's got to come on. But, yeah, Alabama was in there for a minute, but they had signed two quarterbacks, two and Mack. And then, you know, that was basically – I'm not even sure how hard they pushed. Because the plan probably the plan was always really to sign two in twenty nineteen. It's not like they didn't know who Talia was. Obviously they yeah. had they knew Talia's gonna but it's, it's not like they didn't know who Tyson was. I mean you know right. they knew he was. He'd been you know, he was playing at one of the best best seven A schools in in the in the state as well. So that but when he popped up, you know, that's sort of that shoot, is he good enough to take? But Alabama was definitely involved there. Yeah, at eighteen he ended up with Lane Hatcher coming in late. And that was Gardner Minshew time, too, where it appeared there for a little bit that Gardner Minshew was going to enter that quarterback room that would that had Jalen Hurts, Tua Tonga-Vailoa, and Mac Jones. That would have been something else to consider. But Emory Jones, hearing it from the fans down in Gainesville these days, not so much because his play has been poor, but... The guy behind him, Anthony Richardson, has just been absolutely dynamic when given the opportunity through the Gators' first two games. We'll see how Dan Mullen manages that on Saturday. Richardson also looking like he might have tweaked a hamstring last week against USF. What about Damian Pierce? He's a big old freaky kid, too. Oh, God, 6'4", 6'5", 240, and can run, can flat-out run. Um, speaking of running, Damian Pierce uh, – Running back for the Florida Gators, one-time Alabama commitment from South Georgia, I guess. Uh, yeah. You know, the one thing I was going to go back to the quarterback situation real quick at Florida. I got sidetracked mentally. You know, when you, you – Dan Mullen's going to have – you know, and there's been talk they're canceling their visits and everything else for this. That game's so important. I'm not sure I buy that. But if he's got both guys healthy, you know, the thing is, 
we knew Alabama knew they were getting his best shot, right? We knew that everything since this summer has been based on the Alabama game. They weren't all jacked up for Florida Atlantic or South Florida. So we knew this. We saw this last year where they went completely vanilla, lost to a completely vanilla LSU team, and then blew out, you know, pulled out every stop against the Alabama game and made it super challenging. So if Richardson is healthy, there's definitely going to be some packages for him. But if he's not, that's really going to limit the game plan, you know, possibly for him. That's going to limit what he can do. I still think they'll take shots and go downfield because Emory can throw the ball. Uh, you know, he's got a, he's got a strong arm. So anyway, let's go back. What were we talking about? Damian, Damian Pierce, the Florida running back that a few years back, I guess four years back now, maybe in that same sort of time frame as Emory Jones, I believe was a one-time commitment to Alabama before switching to the Florida Gators. Yeah. You know, somebody asked me that the other day in a text. I don't really remember him that well. Yeah. Alabama has that. <laughs> it was early when he, I, that's what I, all I recall was he was a really early commitment. Yes. I, I mean, I know who he is obviously, but Alabama has that run. Uh, especially back then, of commitments late junior year and then February to April decommitments. So, you know, so the whole we, we hardly got to know you type of situation, though. So they've had several of those. Not so much lately. They've had a lot of guys. I think recruiting's changed. But you remember early on with Nick Saban, they would commit people early and then mm-hmm. you know, they'd end up going their way. So I have a recollection of his recruitment, but not really a strong, you know, strong feeling about it. How about a couple of receivers for Florida, Tim? Jacob Copeland from the aforementioned Escambia program in Pensacola. He rings a little bit of a bell with me from years ago. And then Xavier Henderson here from the last few years, another wide receiver, one of those South Florida guys that I recall Alabama being involved with. Yeah, two guys. Alabama definitely in the mix with both those guys. And, um, you know, I think playing time factored in heavily. Uh, for, for them, I mean, you got to remember Alabama, Alabama was trying to recruit these guys and they had the big four on campus, which were Judy, you know, Judy Waddle, Ruggs and uh, Smitty. So they had those guys on campus. So it was, a, it was tough sledding there for a while. Alabama fans <laughs> should look back and they should really respect the fact that Mechie came to Alabama under those circumstances. He came to Alabama knowing everybody was there. The only wide receiver really. Um, that was a weird wide receiver um, year as it was. But, yeah, Henderson was a guy that looked at Alabama. I never got the feel Alabama was going to get him. Um, I always felt there was a pretty good chance he was going to stay a little bit closer to home, although I did think Miami possibly had a chance there. Brother of CJ, I believe, the former Florida corner, who is now a uh, uh, starter for the, the Jacksonville Jaguars as a former first round pick of the Jags. Hey, uh, defensive side of the ball, Chris Bogle, uh, rings a bell here from the last couple of years, the edge defender from South Florida that, uh, it appeared as if Alabama was in really good shape, but then as I recall it anyway, kind of late in the process, uh, he decided to stay home. Yeah. Chris was a little bit different. I think that he, you know, I think kids come down to like, I, I, they won't say it, but I think competition and playing time comes into play more times than not. I think the road was a little bit quicker. He felt it was. Plus, he, I knew no, he wanted to stay a little bit closer to home. Uh, he had people around him that I talked to that wanted him to stay in the state. But, you know, one of those athletic guys um, I, I liked. I thought possibly even could be a tight end at some point if he wanted to. But he was an athletic guy. Played in one of the All-American games. 
pretty, you know, you saw his best football was ahead of him instead of where he's at, that upside guy. But he was that, you know, he's that, you know, he's that Florida athlete. Here's a guy that's interesting to me because he's an Alabama guy. Jeremiah Moon, who I'm sure rings a bell with you, is a fifth-year senior for Florida, a Hoover High School product, Tim, who made his way to Gainesville. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't remember Alabama being super heavily involved there. There, you know, for there to be such two programs that recruit so high, there really isn't a whole lot of as much crossover as you would think. Like even yeah. going down the Alabama list of top guys they got in Florida, not many of them were over Florida. So uh, they do. I mean, you know, one of the guys, the biggest battle I can really recall, a couple I can recall. Now, they've won some, so the Florida side will have two. But two really big battles Alabama had we didn't talk about were Timmy Smith, where yeah. Florida absolutely 1,000% went all went on, in on him, and Mac Wilson, and that was after Kirby Smart left, went to Georgia, um, you know, Mac, the five-star linebacker from Montgomery. Florida was, was in there, gave Alabama a little bit run for the money before they wrapped him up. There's really not a lot of head-to-head contests, not as much as I would have thought there was. And by the way, Hank South of our BOL staff has a great look right now at BamaOnline.com on some of Alabama's biggest recruiting victories throughout the years over the Florida Gators. And yeah, that aforementioned Tim Smith is your cover photo right now on the homepage there at BamaOnline.com. What about it, Tim? You want to go to the uh, you want to go to the BOL roundtable mailbag and see what the folks have for us? Absolutely. I did not even have a chance to look at it. I know Jim Bama flooded the. Uh, oh, he hooked us I, up. We appreciate I want it. To yeah. Thank him for jumping in there. Uh, but yes, yeah, so these will be a surprise to me. I do know you mentioned Jim hooked us up, so let's go. Yeah, Jared Burns leads us off. How big is Ventrell Miller, the Florida linebacker, being out for the Bama game? How impactful is that? And the way I understand it, obviously we don't cover Florida, but I understand it that Miller sustained an injury last Saturday against South Florida. You know, this is a guy that's played a lot of football. I mean, I think when you talk about the middle of the defense and you kind of heard this echoed by Nick Saban and Pete Golding in relation to the arrival of Henry Toa The first thing you kind of wonder about is, uh, you know, who's going to run that show for Florida and, I don't know exactly who that's going to be for the Gators on Saturday, but I'd say Ventrell Miller, and especially on early downs, I like Ventrell Miller probably more between the tackles and I like him in space and when you get into nickel and dime type stuff and spreading the field. But intangibles, I would point to it probably being as impactful to Florida as anything else. And, um, you know, that matchup with Alabama's running backs, Tim, uh, you know, this is going to be interesting to watch because we talked about the last time, few times that these teams have gotten together. I mean, things that come to mind are Najee Harris just going off on Florida last December in Atlanta to the tune of around 250 scrimmage yards and five total touchdowns. Uh, you can go back to 2011 with, with Trent Richardson and that 38-10 to 10 win down in Gainesville. Um, what are you expecting from those running backs for Alabama this week? You know, I think, you know, I don't, you know, They've all had sort of carried an equal workload. I don't think Alabama's been especially tricky. I think there was more in the playbook if it was needed for Miami. I know fans get so frustrated. We went through this last year. I swear, in the middle of the second quarter of every game, Alabama was 0-14. They never won a game last year. There was so much frustration. I saw that in the Mercer game. I don't understand what kills me with fans 
is, and I include myself, but I don't understand how you don't understand why they're not excited for Mercer. If I polled 100 Alabama fans or any SEC school fans, I'm curious how many tell me what state they're in. So Alabama is sandwiched, Mercer's sandwiched between Miami and the University of Florida. It's hard to be up three straight games. Um, so, But I do think Alabama's been vanilla. I think they had more in their playbook for Miami. They got ahead, obviously, in the game and just sort of ran, you know, you know, were pretty vanilla finishing that game out. Last week, you didn't see anything sexy. So their best play calling, just like Dan Mullen, a lot of their best play calling is still still to be played. So I still expect to see a little bit more in the run game. I think it's been very pedestrian. Uh, as far as the blocking, I think there's a lot more they can do. I think they wanted to see – the newcomers on that, you know, out on the limb, out on the out on the edge by themselves uh, to see what they can do because there's no experience like getting <laughs> getting blown by and having your quarterback sacked. There's no experience like that until actually doing it. So um, I think the running game will be fine. I think that we're going to see. I still would like to see Kamar Wheaton, that explosive guy. I think these guys, yeah. Robinson, average seven yards a carry, I think, or something. The thing yeah. about Emma backs now that we haven't, they are falling forward. They are moving forward. They are moving the chains. We haven't seen the 63-yard run, rambling, stumbling, bumbling, fumbling that we so used to seeing with Najee because Najee had runs and catches, and it not only were they runs, but it was just his big butt flying down the field just looking like, you know, it was just different watching Najee. You're not going to see that. The backs Alabama has now are more of those third-round drafted backs uh, you know, square to the ball, shoulders fall forward. You know, Glenn get, coffee type. Yeah. yeah. So they're definitely uh, a little bit different. Kamar was the guy that was expected to be that uh, a change of gear back. Jalen Milrose, a guy still, I'm telling you, this guy, I don't want to run him out of the quarterback position, but that kid is special with that ball in his hand. So mm-hmm. I think, that, you know, there's a possibility you could see him mixing it up and versatile enough, you know, because you got Bryce locked in there. So I think you're going to, what we're looking for as fans, you're looking for more explosive plays. But I think the run game's been solid so far. I haven't seen a whole lot that they're doing. Um, and, you know, and, and again, going back to the original question, the loss of Miller, it's got to be a big one. He started both games. Let him in tackles in, in, in the first game. That's usually one of the leaders on the team. So, yeah. obviously, it's not ideal. You don't want to lose, you know, anybody, but you certainly don't want to lose a starter. Yeah, I mean, he was very much involved in, uh, I guess, this matchup back in back in December as well in the SEC championship game when he had six tackles against Alabama and the Gators loss in that one. Hey, Jam Bama, here we go with Jam. Damn. Will this game have any sway, Tim, on a linebacker target, Shamar James, who, as we know, is committed to the University of Florida? Yes. He said winner gets it all. Whoever <laughs> wins this a noon showdown. No, I don't think that factors as heavily in as you think it does. Um, I don't think a team losing to Alabama really affects a recruit. I mean, I don't think. Like, if you're looking at Miami and they lost to Alabama, I don't think you necessarily say, hell no, they should have won that game. So I don't think losing to Alabama is a big deal as people make it out to be. Obviously, um, you know, you want to go in and, 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 I mean, the guy's committed to Florida. And a big part, I think, is opportunity. I've talked to people close to him that feel that the opportunity's there. I'm not sure his recruitment's completely shut down, but. Um, I think that, you know, when you get into that whole depth chart and all that kind of stuff, it's hard to overcome because at the end of the day, you want to play. You know, most of these kids want to play. 
Um, whether it be first year, second year, or third year. And Alabama does have a good linebacking core. But Shamar is a guy I really like that fits in with that group. Um, so I don't think the impact – I don't to, to, to make a, a much too long answer short, I don't think the impact of this game will matter much. I mean, if, Alabama is a great recruiting staff. If they can't get him, it won't be – you know, if they want him, it won't be for lack of effort. And sometimes, you know, a kid – you know, Florida's got a lot to offer. You know that as well as I do. It's a cool campus. It's a, you know, it's a lot of history. You know, a lot of students. So, Jam Bama continues here. Damn. If you haven't been to Ben Hill Griffin Stadium, aka the Swamp, would this be a bucket list game for you? I've been more times than I can count, based on where I grew up. Sort of some family affiliation. With the University of Florida, what about it, Tim? Where would you put the swamp in terms of a bucket list item uh, where, you know, sports venues in general are concerned? Well, I was there, and I've only been once. I had a – I was living in a Seaside, Florida, working at a pizza place, a buddy of ours owned. We were all, like, hanging out. We went to the Florida-Auburn game, mm-hmm. and it was – it was loud. It was insane. I was already a little, little – uh, Water deprived, hungover, <laughs> dehydrated. Um, yeah. They had me lit on a Friday night, and I get in that stadium, and these people are loud as shit. There's rattling, <laughs> rattling keys. They are driving it, and I was back against that big wall. And it was the Auburn game. Remember, they beat them before the year before. Yeah, Auburn beat Florida, and Steve Spurrier didn't like that. And uh, and if you remember that game, who was the DB? Brian Robinson. I believe had three interceptions in that game and Auburn upset Florida again. Yeah, that was Patrick Nix in the corner of the end zone to uh, the Mm. wide receiver. I forget his name now. Yeah, absolutely was a wild environment. And I went to the right game because it was, I didn't have to root, which was perfect. Right. You just enjoy it. Unbelievably heated. And that was the game where Spurrier had called uh, Bowden Lucky. And then after the game, I believe Bowden said, they said, how do you feel after such a big win? He said, I just feel lucky. He I think that was 94. Right, which is a yeah. Big huh? yeah, I think that was 94. It's a it's a fun place. There's no doubt about it. Now, it's sort of a 180 from Bryant-Denny Stadium on a game day. I think you could say that. It's a different, different crowd. Uh, the student section is entirely different. Um I think more interactive in the game than probably the student section at Alabama. Um, And and it kind of depends on if you go in the daytime or night, sort of like LSU that way. But uh, yeah, I would say if you haven't been, you ought to go. Gainesville as a college town is fine. I think sort of the perception of Gainesville is that it's like almost on the water one way or the other, like it's on the Atlantic coast or the Gulf Coast is not. It's right in the center of north central Florida. So coming in and going out, it doesn't have sort of a dramatic feel to it. But it's fine as far as SEC towns go, too. It's like the rest of them. It's exploding largely due to college football. We stayed there on the way to a baseball tournament for my second son. We stayed in Gainesville. And it, it wasn't at all what I thought. It was much more yeah. like normal there was, it had a lot of alabaster qualities to it, you know, just a normal yeah. strip off feel to it. It wasn't exactly what I expected. Now, the campus, I went and covered the campus. I covered a Nike, uh, Nike camp there. It was unbelievable. The stadium and all yeah. that stuff was really cool. It's a tough spot in some ways for Florida football, and they've had to try to deal with this from a facilities perspective because 
the stadium and the practice fields for Florida are really landlocked within the campus and sort of the, uh, the adjacent town. So, you know, they've had to kind of really do some different sort of planning to make this new facility come to fruition. I think a lot of people would be surprised that a lot of what you see at Alabama either hasn't happened yet at the university of Florida or is in the process of the initial projects taking place uh, Florida, from a facilities perspective where football is concerned, had actually fallen down the list in the SEC a pretty good bit. Jam Bama coming at us again. What are your thoughts, Tim, on the right tackle position for this game and going forward? Chris Owens, essentially, yeah, is what we're talking yeah. about here. Yeah, I sort of, you know, I liked Chris, you know, on the inside last year. I thought he did a good job at center. Um, I don't know what to expect. I mean, that edge is hard to play. You know, I see Alex at Leatherwood struggling in the NFL. I see these guys struggle a lot. You know, to me, it's sort of almost like a lot. I think the talent's there. Wouldn't you agree that he's yeah. He's a big guy who moves well. He gets he, Like you said earlier, he's an interior guy, first and foremost, but he's a six-year guy. So him being at that spot right now, as much as anything, and you consider the other options and where they're at and their development it's largely about experience he's trusted right now more than he is say a second year guy in damian george or jc latham or some of these younger guys and again i think we're seeing him work a little bit one-on-one without a lot of help over there so i think yep. he wants to see and that's the thing i think if you really look at it, if you'll slow down and not overreact each game i think if you'll react to the fact that Hey, that game where Alabama gave up a couple deep balls to Miami, there was there wasn't a lot of pass rush. They right. to see how Malachi, because you got you've got to embrace. They want to see them working because you know again, experience is everything. You can do drill after drill after drill, yeah. but when you know what's coming in a drill, you you know it's it's basically muscle memory. So you're having to deal with completely different against Miami. By the way, I thought Alabama did a good job. Overall, with those deep balls, even though they got beat, but it took great catches, great passes, all that stuff. But they're wanting to see what he can do one-on-one off the edge. Now, when they identify a problem, they're going to send somebody over there to help him. They're going to chip. They're going to have a different, you know, I still expect in Billingsley to come busting out of there. I hope that's the case. Mm-hmm. I hope that was the the. Point. I think you could see some uh, Kendall Randolph attached almost to Chris Owens in some situations this week. It's sort of an extra offensive lineman you saw them do some good double team work in the ground game against Miami on Trey Sanders touchdown run I think you touched on it schematically in terms of personnel last week against Mercer if you really paid attention a lot of the pre-snap motion and orbit motion and a lot of that stuff that we've seen from Alabama in the last few years there was none of that and there shouldn't there shouldn't be against Mercer the point is as Tim was alluding to there's still a lot uh, in the playbook that Bill O'Brien has to to sort of unleash in terms of you, you know that position. You got play, yeah. You don't have to. You want to use the plays when you need them. Yeah. You just, you just against Mercer, you're going to tell Chris Owens, "We're not going to help you in some situations yeah, against an FCS defensive end. You're going to have to get the job done. We're not going to scheme I, up. We're not going to scheme up for Mercer's defensive end." Listen, you know? let's talk about that Mercer on Anderson Hill. Here's the thing: I don't blame the kid. Who did it? That's basically what he's taught to do. It just so happened Will's a far yeah. big that block is that offense. Yeah. I don't believe he was aiming at like hit him on the knee. I think he was trying to get at the knees, as they say. I don't think he intentionally tried to hit him. If he did, he's got hell of angles. I mean, he should be the best boy. And look, 
South Sunsari and Alabama, they have drills that they have specific for that. Like if Will had went to the right, that thing would have just cuffed him. What I don't get is how the hell is it legal when Will can't tackle the quarterback that way? Well, it's not above the shoulders. About the the only thing that's illegal is head and neck, which understandably, that's critical areas. But your ankles, knees, you know, those things, they they can blow those up all they want. What about going low? Like I know Mac. Yeah. Uh, there's a penalty on Mac the other day. Oh, uh, the NFL. Here's the here's the here's the hypocrisy in all of it. The NFL does a better job of taking care of players in terms of safety, Tim, than the college game. Think about that. I just don't understand. Like knees are off limits. Yeah. You know what I mean? Knees are off. Oh yeah. Tom Brady rule. Yeah. I mean, I just don't understand for everybody, not just a court. Hey, you know what? It ain't just the quarterback that needs their damn knees. No, <laughs> we I understand. Yeah, need their knees. I mean, what the hell they be? That's how we. That's how we've been down pick up the coins we drop. But um, it was very frustrating to see. Also, I saw a lot of fans just say pull the starters at half. Nick Saban's never doing that. Nope. They scream it from the rooftop. The guy's in his sixties. He's never done it at any place he's played that I'm aware of. He's not about to do it now. It's football. Well, football. The, the opening. The opening sequence of the second half is viewed as a critical sort of yes. part of what they do on a week-to-week basis when they go in at the half and they talk about things on offense and defense, and they say, okay, this is how we're going to open the second half. They do that even against Mercer because they're going to definitely need to do it next week against Florida. It's part of the operation that you're just not going to see really changed all that much if if a guy is questionable in a game like that he just won't go but will anderson at the half was not questionable he was good to go and you can't protect i mean i don't know i know it's human nature to say that wouldn't have chris allen was hurt in the first quarter Mm -hmm. it's football you can't there's not a time i don't think you increase your chances of being injured in the third quarter versus the first quarter. In fact, I say the first quarter is when everybody's still getting after it. Now, I will say I hate playing opponents like Mercer because they're overmatched. They have no prayer of winning. So anything they do, a big tackle, a big sack, uh, a big hit, even if it's a penalty, that's a win for them because they go back to Mercer, a hero. Absolutely. You know, you know, Free beer and making. Yeah. yeah. You, yes, abs- absolutely. You go back a hero. So – um, I just, you know, to me, I just don't understand how anything down by the knees for anybody's legal. Jam finally asked, will Dan Mullen try his 2017 game plan against Alabama? And I think what Jam's referring to is, well, that uh, 2017 game in Starkville that went down to the wire. Jalen Hurts hitting Devontae Smith on the slant to get the job done against the Bulldogs. Uh you had Nick Fitzgerald at quarterback for Mississippi State back then, and that was certainly a quarterback run heavy offense. I think Florida has more weapons across the board on offense. We talked about Jacob Copeland, Xavier Henderson, Wells, some of these other guys that Florida has that you'll see on Saturday, including some tight ends in wake of Kyle Pitts moving on to the NFL. Um but so. no, I, I think the yeah to get back to the central point of the question, I don't think there's any doubt that Florida's chances on Saturday reside heavily on its ability to run the football team. Yeah, and you know with Mississippi State that year, that was a different Alabama offense too. Jalen was also Jalen 
was not his polish of the passers. He is now Jalen to this day. I'm telling you that pass he made to Smitty was one of the best clutch frozen rope passes I've ever seen at Alabama. Mm -hmm. It was a thing of beauty. Now the rest of the game, he wasn't as, you know, he'd end up being a lot more polished player. It was a bad night for Alabama night game. They weren't exactly hyped for that. Mississippi state is a deadly, was a dangerous team, especially had some injuries with that 17 team down the stretch too on defense. That was a real problem. I mean, if Dan Mullen knew the game, that game plan would keep it close this week, I think he for sure would Absolutely. use it again because if he's close in the fourth quarter. But I don't think that particular game plan would work against Alabama right now. This is a this is a this is a defense that you're going to have to challenge. There's no there's yeah. no ways around it. And you know what? I think Dan Mullen loves to challenge the defense. I think that's what he lives for. You saw it last year when I thought the defense was playing playing pretty solid football. They challenged Alabama constantly, constantly. But they had – and we discussed it going into the game and after. I think people just – I don't think people understood how freaking great Florida's skill players were. Oh, gosh. Sure. I mean, yeah. God, you had – Well, you talked about Jacob Copeland probably going to Florida in large part because he figured his path to the playing field would be easier. But then he encounters Kadarius Tony. Trayvon Grimes, Kyle Pitts, you know, so he ended up waiting there because that's the kind of talent Florida had. And that's what I was saying is like Alabama obviously lost talent on offense, but Florida lost a tremendous amount of talent. And it's hard to replace a Kyle Trask. I mean, it's hard to replace Kyle Trask was sort of like uh, not to get in a big argument with anybody, but he's sort of like Alabama's version of AJ. You know, he was really dependable. Uh, had a good season. He made smart throws. He led the offense. Uh, you know, just you know, just made a lot of plays. So to replace that leadership is, is hard to do. And with Alabama, they've been lucky because they've got a guy, Bryce Young, who's a hot football kid. You know, he's a guy we talked about in and I. Everybody, you know, it's a good sign when you have a five star, and they're always bragging about something that's not really on the field related. I always think that's a great sign. And everybody talked about this kid's. Willingness to work, his football IQ, his intelligence, and his humbleness. They all talked about that. To me, a lot of that was the same with Mac Jones. I can't think of anybody I spoke to in the recruiting process is like, man, this guy can sling it. He can span it. I never got any of that with Mac. I got a lot of the intangibles off the field. Look what he turned into. Same thing can be said about Jalen. A lot of people talked about Jalen's intangibles off the field. So when you see Jalen, you see Mac, you see these guys, Kyle Trask is sort of in that mold, you know, the, 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 the guy that sort of overcame. So I think there's a lot lost there on that offense and you can't just, Tony was a 20th pick. Pitts was like the sixth pick in the draft. Mm -hmm. Good call Falcons. Good call there. Not that Pitts isn't great, but you don't take it when you need everything, you don't take a tight end at six. You know who does that? Left, left some good quarterbacks on the you board. You know who does that? At six. You know who does takes a tight end at six when they need everything? The Lions. The <laughs> Lions. Maybe the Jags. Yeah, the Jags will Jags will go up there and take a Blake Bortles. Some great drafts. Mm-hmm. Um, they just let them all go. Ah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, you think back, too, to that 2017 defense, and as we talked about a little bit earlier, injuries at the linebacker position were tough. I remember Keith Holcomb playing a good bit against Mississippi State in that 2017 game. A very young Dylan Moses, as I recall, uh, in that mix as well. So Alabama's rolling Christian Harris and Henry Toa Toa 
out there on Saturday at inside linebacker. I think that's going to make think, for a little bit of a difference, too. I think, oddly enough, this will sound crazy. I think it works in Alabama's favor that they're playing – in Florida against Florida, I think they. Re- I think this is the kind of game they they enjoy. respond to. Yeah, I just think they enjoy it the most because when you're a team, when you're on a team and you're beating, you know, a lot of you know, you're beating a lot of your opponents pretty severely. And we've seen this with any dynasty or any great program, and it's no different for a Ohio State or a Oklahoma or whoever. When you go uh, to that environment, you rise up because you're excited. You'll be pumped. You'll be you know you'll be into the game. So I think this is a good game for Alabama because it's going to have almost like a, uh, you know, it's college, but it's going to have a playoff-like, NFL playoff-like atmosphere. I mean, these fans will be, you know, Gators fans are deep and strong, and they'll be they'll be at full throttle. So uh, Absolutely. I think it's a good game for Alabama to get right now. Um, well, we'll find out. We'll find out who this team is. We know what it is. We know it's very talented. But really, who is this team? What's its personality? What's its – togetherness what's it's those type of intangible things show up when you go on the road to a place like florida in week three mcgruber wraps us up in the mailbag on this wednesday with how do kickers prepare for high pressure kicks well i would say if nick saban standing right there watching you in practice during special teams periods or field goal extra point periods isn't pressure enough? I don't know what is. I think that's essentially what it comes down to a lot of times at this level anyway, Tim, and competition. You know, I mean, that makes everybody better. And that's where even at the place kicking spot, you want to try to keep depth at a high level because if nothing else, you want iron sharpening iron, so to speak, even with your kickers. No, I would never, I would never be a kicker. I just, I just, I don't know how, I don't know the answer. I've never known the answer. In all these years, speaking at clubs and, and fans and, and red mm-hmm. clubs and groups, they ask me about kickers. I still don't know anything. They're the, I've always said kickers and to me, offensive linemen are the two toughest position to, to evaluate for the next level because the game changes the most for those areas. I, I think I, offensive linemen, you know, the physicality and the size and speed changes. And for kickers, even the rules change because in high school, you can use that one or two inch little T on field goals and extra points. You go to college, you're kicking right off the ground. Now, the high level high school kickers more and more these days, you'll see them even in high school kicking right off the turf. They're already making that transition if they're smart. But it, it's, you know, I did it. I was a kicker and, uh, you know, I'm a third part of a third generation of kickers and yeah no listen of the three listen of the three riders that have done it if it comes down to it that's the one you want taking that kick not me or not her grandfather i can promise you that (laughs) i'm serious i'm not i believe you i've seen the the clips i have dude i I wasn't trolling you i literally no 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 sweat i mean i used to get i used to get nervous about extra points in a 21 point game we need to feel the prior no savannah travis but here's what i would say about that too maybe in relation to her if you've got a kicker that is a multiple multi-sport kid i think it's invaluable just like it is at every other sport because they encounter situations in those other sports that help prepare them for those moments and um that's what she was you know i mean she had to make free throws late in games so she did it in basketball and you know it it carries over 
Here's what I know about kickers. I watched the <laughs> NFL, and nine times out of ten, I don't know where their kicker went to college. And I watch every no. game. So and I don't understand. Here's, I do know the guys I saw that were unbelievable. Sebastian right. Janikowski. Yeah. I saw that guy kick it from the Incredible. other 50 on the old Countdown to Signing Day show. Right. Uh, no, that was uh, Board of Wars. Jamie Newberg, my buddy Josh's uh, uncle or cousin, he yeah. kicked from the other side of the 50. And I saw Michael Proctor at Pelham High School who could kick the kick Proctor the, could do uh, it. And Will Reicher. I saw him. Yeah. I was I'm hesitant to hype anybody, but Will Reicher was he was a little he was different when he was at Hoover. What I like about Reichard was last Saturday he missed his first field goal in twenty attempts. And I liked that they got him another kick before that game was over. They got him the forty yarder there in the fourth quarter and he just drilled it. That tells me a lot about a kicker. There's no kicker that's not gonna miss it. The psyche is easy when you're making everything. But when you miss one, what's the next one going to look like? And it wasn't just that he made the kick on that last attempt against Mercer. He drilled it, oh, and it, was, it looked great in the air. You know, drive. It was still right. Yeah. 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 It was, a, All right, it was good to see. All right, bud. Well, that's the mailbag, and that's going to do it for the Bama Online podcast on this Thank Wednesday. You everybody, everybody that asked a question, especially Jim. Yeah, Jam hooked us up, man. We appreciate it. Appreciate it, McGruber. And uh, also, Jared Burns, thank you as well. Thanks to everyone else who makes Bama Online possible for us there at BOL. And you certainly want to jump on board with us on the roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Alabama Crimson Tide fans everywhere. Tim, have a great weekend, man. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks, Travis. For Tim Watts, Travis Ryer thanking you. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to the Bama Online Podcast? Simple, as easy as a click or two. Wherever you consume podcasts, you're going to find us, the Bama Online Podcast. Until next time, so long, everybody. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski.